I watched this show on uh, many occasions. How many of you watched this show on TLC? Yeah, probably a number of you. All right. Um, the Duggars, uh, family from Arkansas, uh, known nationally because the parents, uh, I believe it's Jim Bob and Michelle, um, they have 19 children. It's called 19 Kids and County. Uh, mainly known for their conservative Christian lifestyle. They became famous, though, really started to become known nationally back in 2004 when the media um, began to pick up on their story and their family. And then TLC started that series, a TV series, 19 Kids and Counting. And I've already seen some of you back there going, one, two, three, four, five, six. I think there are 19 there, 19 there. The show focuses on their continuing growing family, uh, their devout faith, their strict values, uh, their courting, their dating rules for their children. Uh, They have taken stances against issues such as abortion and gay marriage. And despite numerous critics that have asked for their show to be taken off the air because of their stances, the show has continued to grow. And if I'm not mistaken, it's been one of the most popular shows that TLC has ever put on the air. But some of you recently have heard that um, a bombshell kind of hit that family. It became known that their oldest son, Josh... Twelve years ago, when he was 13 years old, was involved in some inappropriate activities with girls. And from all that we know and all that they have recently told in some interviews, it seems like the family has handled it in every appropriate manner possible, um, conducting themselves and taking the necessary biblical Uh, steps for forgiveness, healing, and reconciliation. However, if you've been watching the news as of late, this became public just a couple weeks ago. And TLC canceled and postponed the show. And many in the media, and many have just attacked them like a pack of wolves, really jumping on them. And I believe unduly calling them hypocrites, and just saying some nasty things about them. And personally, folks, I believe it's not so much an attack on them as it is an attack on Christianity. You see, the world hates them because they are believers in Jesus Christ. Satan hates them because they are taking a stand for his truth and his righteousness. Isn't it interesting that even though many in the media and some critics want them removed, isn't it interesting that it continues to be one of the most popular shows? Why is that? Because people want to know if this thing called Christianity is real. And Satan cannot stand it. So, we need to pray for them. I don't know them personally, but I will say this. I get a really good spirit from what I see on television. I know you can't always believe what you see on television, but there just seems to be a sweet, there seems to be a Jesus spirit upon that family. So, we as a church need to lift them up. Even though it's been dealt with and resolved years ago, this family's world has been turned upside down all because of something that happened in the past. Something that happened in the past. The past. Truth be told, 
We all have imperfect past, don't we? Yeah, we all could say amen to that. We all have broken things in our past, things that if we could go back and, and in the hands of time and change that we would, things that Satan will use and often use to defeat us. You see, our world is full of people who have things in their past that they think are unforgivable, things that are unthinkable maybe in the world and society's views. And Satan will make them think that there's no way that God could ever forgive you. Maybe for others it's a painful memory of your past that keeps popping up. Something that you think you've dealt with, but it just keeps coming up, defeating you time and time again. Satan keeps bringing it up and you don't think you can ever get past it. Maybe some of you have had a rough upbringing in life and you have struggled with various portions of that. And if you fall into one of these camps, I don't know who I'm speaking to this this morning. Um, I was thinking about continuing my series on I Want More, and that may come out next week. I don't know, but this is something that God laid upon my heart, so I'm going to go with it. I don't know who I'm speaking with, speaking to today. If what I just said describes any of you, some of you may be asking the question, does Jesus really love me? You know, we're, we're in church, we're church, a lot of us are church people, that's a standard question, we know the standard answer, but we might be surprised the number of people in our churches that really want to know if Jesus really does love them. Would he even be willing to forgive me? Is there healing for my situation? Can something good come from something bad? And does he really have a plan for my life? I mean, the preacher, the pastor says those kind of things, and it sounds good. It's the kind of things that he should be saying behind the pulpit. But is it real? Is it true? Does he really have a plan for my life? Even after all that I've done, even after the ugliness that is in my past, is there really a plan? Does he really love me? To answer this question, I want to take you to a passage in Matthew. Passage in Matthew. Go to Matthew, the first chapter. I want to take you to a rather curious passage this morning. Probably a passage that many of you would not think would answer the question, answer our topic of today. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 16. Here we go. Let's see if I can pronounce these names. Uh, If I can't, you're more than welcome to pronounce them for me. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. There's a lot of begetting here. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begot Abihah, and Abihah begot Asa. 
Asa begot Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah, and Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time that they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiad. Abiad begot Eliakim. And Eliakim begot Azor. And Azor begot Zadok. Zadok begot Achim. And Achim begot Eliad. Eliad begot Eleazar. And Eleazar begot Mathon. And Mathon begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. How would I do? All right. Was that 19 and counting? I don't know how many names were in there. <laughs> mm. The genealogy of Jesus. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but I would think that there are some yeses with this question. How many of you, when you read, have read this in your devotional time, this is about the time you would fall asleep, Right? Whenever you read the genealogy of Jesus, it's like, man, this is, this is crazy. I mean, what, what does this mean? Why is this even important? Seems boring and unimportant, right? That's what I used to think until we begin to dig a little bit. You know, you can learn a lot from the genealogy of someone. I was able to go home. Stephanie and Jenna is down in Kentucky with the babies and Jess and Brian. And I was able to spend some uh, time with mom and dad over the last day or two. And uh, grandma told me something that I never knew. Uh, she told me that my great-great-grandfather was a song evangelist. I had no idea about that. She said many of my ancestors on grandma's side, they grew up just knowing how to play the, the, the piano by ear. That's, I, don't, I don't read music. I just play by ear. So it's really interesting that um, I probably got that through my ancestry. My dad's side is, is not quite so glamorous. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Don't tell him that. Um, um, I will say this. My dad's mother, uh, she's a Cunningham. And evidently, somewhere over in Europe, there is a Cunningham castle. They've not yet invited me to spend my summer vacations there yet, but there's a Cunningham Castle. I guess they have a, an insignia or a crest. Uh, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, Dad told me yesterday that um, back in the early 1800s, one of the Cunningham ancestors um, and a child was taken captive by Indians. Um, just, just amazing. Some of you who know Civil War history, you've heard of Morgan's Raiders. The Morgan's Raiders, uh, they came right through my family's uh, property, right behind mom and dad's backyard. So um, just, just you never know where you come from or much about your family. You might be surprised. Not sure how much you know about your family tree, but Jesus came from quite the family heritage. If you like history at all, you might want to take some notes as we talk this morning. 
how does this passage that I just read, how does the genealogy of Jesus answer the question that I started off with about your past and is there forgiveness, is there healing, is there a future, and does God really love you? Before we start listing some things, I want to tell you a story. See if I can remember it. Abraham... Little Bible study here. Ready? Here we go. Abraham had who? Isaac. And Isaac had who? Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, you remember, had how many sons? Twelve. One of those sons' names was Judah. Judah. In Genesis 38, you don't have to go there, but sometimes you might want to read it because I was telling uh, Grandma about this, and she had a hard time believing this story was really there. So sometime for yourself, read it. Genesis 38. It says that Judah, not long after they sold his brother Joseph into slavery and captivity, it says that Judah went off to another land. And he found himself a Canaanite woman named Shua, and he married her. Now that right there, stop. That is not allowed. Marrying outside of the family tree, so to speak, okay? Um, you, you just don't do that. So here we see Judah right away doing a no-no. And the story goes that Judah married Shua, and Judah and Shua had three children. First child's name was Ur, the second child's name is Onan, and the third child's name uh, was Shelah. Sounds like a girl's name, but it was a guy. Three boys. Judah picked a wife out for his first son, Ur. They did that back in those days. And, but it says that Ur was so wicked that God killed him. Hard to believe, isn't it? Ur was so wicked, was so evil that God took him out of the way. And in those days, if, if you did not father a child, then, or if, if you died before you were able to father a child, your wife was given to the next in line, the next kin. So, he picked out a woman named Tamar. And Tamar was uh, Ur's wife, and Ur died. God took him out of the way. And so that means Onan is the next in line to be father to Tamar. But he did some evil things as well, and I'll let you read about that. God took him out of the way. So now here's Tamar. She's had two men that have not been able to give her a child. And her father-in-law, Judah, said, Look, Shelah is not too far away from being old enough to marry you. If you will just wait a few years, I will give him to you. Tamar said, Okay, I'll do that. I'll wait. A few years passed by. Judah forgot about that promise that he made to Tamar. And he let Shelah marry someone else. Tamar's pretty upset at this point. Tamar has been wearing her black widow clothes this whole time. For years, she's been a widow. Tells us that Judah went to a local town in a local city. Tamar, desperate for a child, took off her widow clothes, dressed up like a prostitute, sat in the city gates, and Judah walks up to her, not knowing because it says her face was covered in a veil. Judah did not know who it was, and he asked her if he could come in to her. Crazy, isn't it? It's in the Bible, Genesis 38. Sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? Yeah. 
She said, okay, but what will you give me for it? He said, I will send a goat for you later. You can have your very young goat. You wanted a goat? She said, okay, but I need a pledge that you will do that. And he said, what do you want? She said, give me your signet, give me your cord, and give me your staff that I may have. He said, okay. They agreed. He went in with her. She conceived. He goes back home. She goes back home and puts her widow clothes back on. Do you see what's happening here? Uh, The incredible events that are taking place in this story? He goes back and he finds out that someone tells him, Judah, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. She has been a prostitute. And not only that, but she is now pregnant and expecting out of that harlot tree. What do you think Judah does? He's furious. He's furious. And he says, bring her out here so I can, we can burn her to death. She comes out and you know what she does? She says, by the man with whom these items belong, I am expecting. She shows the signet, she shows the cord, and she shows the staff. And Judah's busted. How does, I mean, Judah's a married man to Shua, and he went in with a prostitute, and and, uh, she conceived, and he looked at her and he realized what he had done. And he said to his daughter-in-law, you have been more righteous than I. Because I promised you my son and did not give him my son. And now look what I have done. He was embarrassed. He was put to shame. And it says that Tamar bore twins. And the twins name, Perez and Zerah. And I don't know that if you caught that. But as we were reading through the genealogy of Jesus Christ, do you remember those names being mentioned? The very first name, there's a number of names in what I just talked about that are great, holy, righteous people, but there's a lot of scoundrels in the genealogy of Jesus. Judah, father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. That is in the, uh, the, the lineage, the family tree of Jesus. I wanted to tell you that story just to give you an idea of what kind of people we're talking about here. Next is Salmon, father of Boaz by Rahab. Is that name familiar to you as well? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. This is the Rahab, and we know what Rahab was. She was a prostitute. So here we see another harlot in the lineage of Jesus. Next, we have Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obad. Does anybody remember who the wife of Boaz was? Ruth. Now let me tell you something about Ruth. Ruth did not come out of the family line. She was a Moabite, a foreigner, a foreign woman, another foreigner from outside of the family. And you're not allowed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. That is against God's ways and God's laws. Obed, 
who would eventually become the, gr- the grandfather of King David, his mother was Ruth. Next, we have David. King David, father of Solomon by Bathsheba. We all know the story of this, don't we? Crazy, isn't it? David was a man after God's own heart. But let me remind you that David also so lusted after Bathsheba that he committed adultery with her, and then he had her husband murdered. So here, in the lineage of Jesus Christ, we have an adulterer and we have a murderer. Let's go on. King Solomon, wisest man that ever lived. He too had a checkered past, didn't he? He didn't have one wife, not two wives, but he had 700 foreign wives. 700 foreign wives and 300 concubines. And what happened, the reason that these foreign wives were so dangerous, and God told him don't do this, the reason it's so dangerous is because these foreign wives would bring other gods, other idols, other religions into the camp, into the kingdom. We kind of learned about that through Sister Louisa's study on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. And, and what happened is um, they were competing against the one true God. And all you can imagine what one competing God would do. But we have 700 wives with all their idols, with all their gods. And the Bible tells us that Solomon's heart was turned away from God. Resulting in polygamy and idolatry to come into the kingdom. And later in the life of Solomon, it says that he enslaved his people. I did not realize that until I really started digging here. Solomon enslaved his people. Next we have King Rehoboam. He is the son born to Solomon. King Rehoboam reigned after his father, and he became a dictator and enslaved the people even more even worse than his father, and he too instituted idolatry into the kingdom. Next in the lineage, we have King Joram. He was a man who had his brothers murdered, and he died a horrible death in the end. Next is King Ahaz. We're told that he too pursued evil ways. He suffered great loss and made Jerusalem into a pagan city. After him, we have King Manasseh. He was an evil king as well who brought idolatry back into the land. King Amon followed evil ways and he was killed by assassins. And the last name that you're probably going to give me a furrowed brow, we had Joseph and Mary. What do I mean by mentioning them? Last but not least, we have the mother and earthly father of Jesus, Joseph and Mary, but they too, had kind of a scandalous past, didn't they? When you think about it. In the world's eyes, hear me out, in the world's eyes, in society's eyes. Yes, they were righteous, they were God-fearing people, and they were engaged to be married, but then Mary dropped the bombshell, right? When she was found to be pregnant, and it wasn't with Joseph's child. And so at the time in society's eyes, Jesus was conceived in society's eyes. Jesus, this baby was conceived out of wedlock. So even Joseph and Mary have a scandalous past. This is quite the list of who's who 
in the lineage of Jesus Christ. One would think, if it would have been me, one would think that the Messiah, the anointed one, would come from a prestigious line of royalty. No scandals, no criminals, no humiliations, no immoral disgraces. But instead, listen to all of this, Jesus chose. Jesus chose to come from a family tree where there was incest, prostitution, foreigners from pagan lands, adultery, murderers, pagan idolaters, polygamy, dictators, assassinators, pregnancies out of wedlock. And what does all of this mean for you and me? How does this go back and answer the question that I asked earlier about your past? Maybe there's something unthinkable that you can never think is forgivable. You can't get past it. It keeps popping up. And does Jesus really love me? You know what this genealogy tells me? It tells me this. If Jesus was willing to have a family member, have family members with sinful, humiliating, shameful past, he's not afraid to be associated with you and me and our sinful and our humiliating and shameful past. Amen? I can't play softball right now, but I can still jump, guys. Jesus descended from those with an imperfect past in order to offer salvation to an imperfect world. He was willing to be related with the worst in order to give us the very best. If Jesus was willing to come from a family tree like this, He's willing to accept you and me. He's willing to love you and me. And you know what? He's willing to forgive you and me. Praise God. This is huge. This is huge. Think about it. You might be saying, Jesus, you don't know how bad I've been. You don't know my shameful past. And hear Jesus say, child, I was willing to come into a family where there is a history of shame and guilt just to show you that there is nothing that you can do that I cannot forgive and I cannot make right. Nothing. Nothing. Look at his past. Look at his history. Look at his family line. From the line of the tribe of Judah? Are you kidding me? He came. Judah was not a very nice person. Yet he chose to come that way. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's been done to you. Jesus says, I love you and I want to take your messed up, crazed up world and make you brand new. You know, there was a tradition back during the time of Roman rule that whenever the Roman kings, the rulers, the Caesars, whenever they were traveling in the area, they would have their slaves go before them and they would smooth the road before them. Um, you can imagine, that, I mean, the Romans uh, put together a modern concept of highways and roads, which is just amazing. But at the time, I mean, it was still 2,000, 2,500 years ago. And um, what the slaves would do is they would go before and maybe a couple of days or a week or so before and anything that would not make that road smooth, they would remove. They would take out rocks and they would take out trees or bushes or, or little uh, mounds here and there. Whatever was keeping it from being smooth and straight so that whenever the Caesar, the king, or the roller came through, it was easily travelable. Isaiah, look at this verse, Isaiah forty three through four. 
prophetic, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places, <laughs> that's our life, that's your life. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. Glory to God, that's right. This is exactly what Jesus came to do for the human soul. He came to take that which was rugged and out of place, that which was not smooth, that which was crooked and twisted and rocky and rough, and make straight and make right. And I'm telling you, your situation is not beyond the grasp of God's hand. Not beyond it. This means he's willing to take our lives as messed up and as damaged as they are and make sense out of it all bringing a newfound peace. Listen, Satan will try and make you think that you're beyond hope. That you've done too much. It's too late. And he'll also keep bringing up your troubled past. But let me remind you of what Jesus was willing to do. Not only was he willing to be born into this family line of those people, Jesus was willing, Isaiah says, he was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus was willing to hang between two thieves just to show you that there isn't length that he wouldn't go, just to love you and forgive you. You know something else? Just one analogy after another. We all were like Ruth. We're all foreigners from another land, aren't we? That's what it says, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers or aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. That's us. No longer are we outside of the camp. No longer are we outside of the family. No longer are we now just called children of God. Praise God. We are children of God, church. That's what he came to do. If you don't think that your life is as messed up as what I just read, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. There isn't any one of us here that's better than a Judah, that's better than a Rahab, that's better than David or Solomon or Rehoboam or all those characters. We're all just as guilty. We were foreigners outside the body of Christ, but now we have been brought near. Let me tell you today that no one is unreachable. No sin of yesterday or today is too much. Nothing. I know that sounds like a preacher thing. I've heard those kind of things my whole life. So don't take my word for it. Take the Bible's word for it. It says, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Told you. doesn't matter what you've done. Take the worst of the worst of the worst, and the grace goes above that. God's grace is able to reach you where you're at. Speaking of my family and speaking of my grandmother, my grandmother has quite the past. She has quite the lineage. 
And about a month or two ago, they sat down and they videotaped my grandmother giving her testimony. It's about five minutes. I'm going to show it to you. Now, I don't know if you'll be able to pick up on everything, but this is my grandmother, and I'll, I'll recount a little bit of it here, but this is my grandmother recalling her past. And let's see if we can't get this to play. Make sure it's up, Brian.
Jesus died for you and there is forgiveness. He came to save and to heal the brokenhearted. Listen, Jesus not only died to take away your sins, he died to take away your shame and your guilt as well. And in Jesus, we don't have to live in the shadows of our past. We don't have to live in the shadows of our sin, shame, and guilt anymore. Mandy, Joyce, if the rest of you could come up. I'm not going to drag this out. I don't know if this has touched anyone. It touched me this week. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes. Father, thank you. Thank you that you were willing to be born into a family with what seems to be the worst of sinners. But God, lump my name right in there with them. I thank you. I thank you that you were willing to come. Jesus, I'm so glad that you are willing not just to associate with yourself with the likes of us. But that's why you came. To die on a cross. To provide a way of salvation for people like us. Thank you, God, that there is therefore now no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's someone here this morning... They have not taken that step with you. They have not really given their life over to you. And there's things in their past. God, I don't know if it might be one person here. There's things in their past that they're thinking, I'll never tell anyone about this. I'll never, I'll never tell anyone. There's no way God will forgive me for this one. It's too embarrassing. It's unthinkable. There's no way. There's no way. God, show them your love. Show them that they are why you came. There isn't anything that is too great for you. God, doesn't matter what our past is. Maybe there's something that someone here thinks they've dealt with, but yet it keeps popping up. It keeps raising its ugly head, and they want to get victory once and for all. Father, help them to realize that when Jesus defeated, defeated Satan, he defeated him for our future as well. That on the death and on the cross and resurrection, Satan no longer has claim to us. He may try to tempt us. He may try to get us. He may try to defeat us and discourage us. We don't have to take that. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ. If there's anyone here, God, that's struggling with something, God, they can get victory here too this morning. God, you want us just to come just as we are. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?